Welcome to the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. Today, I have a very special episode to share with you, as our guest is an extraordinary young man who also happens to be my son, Hunter Chestnut Perry. Hi, Hunter. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm always doing great when we're hanging out. Yes. So we have a really interesting program today, and it's going to be a little different than we usually uh, do these podcast interviews because uh, part of what we're doing today is Hunter is interviewing me for a school project. And we thought it would be really fun to share with everybody um, that interview, and then after that, I'll basically interview you, and Mm -hmm. we'll be chatting here together. And... um, I'll tell you just a little about Hunter, who, of course, I've known uh, since, well, you could say since he was born, but maybe we've had a connection before that even. And uh, Hunter's an extraordinary young man. He's uh, got a heart of gold, first of all, and uh, is, is got a heart of a lion, I, I think is another way to put it. He's a visual artist, uh, draws amazing, beautiful pieces. In fact, we're working on a project we're planning to publish sometime in the not-too-distant future where you'll get to see a lot of these pieces. And he's also a very gifted athlete. And uh, he's the uh, team captain on his varsity basketball team and uh, is also uh, an amazing um, weightlifter and uh, has launched a career as a personal trainer and is really tuned into health and well-being and optimal performance and we'll be talking about that a bit. And uh, Hunter is also an outdoorsman and we spend a lot of time together in the wilderness and we'll we'll chat about that some. And uh, I'll share with you too that Hunter is increasingly engaging in questions around climate change, around some of the environmental challenges that we're facing. And, and that's part of the reason for our discussion today, uh, as uh, he chose for his school project to focus on questions related to climate change, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we're so excited. Now, for the, for the part of the interview where he's got to interview me, uh, it's kind of funny because we've got two cameras up here, and he needs to be off camera for his school project, so it's just me talking. So for a while it'll be just me, but he'll he'll be here with us, just the uh, other side of the camera. Yeah. And uh, um, before we jump into the school part of the interview, is there anything else um, you want to share with folks about the, the school project and, and what you're up to? Uh, so it's basically, it's a C-SPAN project. So our whole like AP language class does it and you get to pick your own topic and then you conduct different interviews and make a presentation that you send into C-SPAN and then they select uh, I think three winners at the end of it and they each get like a scholarship which is cool. That's super cool. Yeah. What a cool opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm just I'm so thrilled about our conversation and uh, I know you that know this buddy but and I know a lot of our audience knows this, but not everyone knows uh, what, what a special connection and relationship you and I have and that we actually spend a lot of amazing time together on road trips and adventures and doing Why on Earth uh, soil activation ceremonies all around the country. And we do a lot of 
backpacking and things out in the uh, wilderness and uh, it's just such a joy to to be with you today yeah so what do we do? Should we get started on, you got sure. questions for Absolutely. me? Absolutely. All right. Um, so here, Hunter's going off camera, and you got to get yours rolling, is that right? Yeah. So, so I'm going gonna, gonna to sit back and... You all ready? I think so. Okay. Could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Aaron Perry, Aaron William Perry, and uh, I'm the proud father of two children, Hunter Chestnut Perry and Osha Chestnut Perry. And uh, I am an author, a consultant, and the founder and executive director of the Why on Earth community. Awesome. Thank you. Um, what have you done and what are you continuing to do for the environment through this community. Yeah, you know, uh, we live in an extraordinary time, and I don't think that it's an exaggeration, nor is it hyperbolic to say that uh, these next few years immediately in front of us may be among the most significant years our human species shares in our collective story together. Uh, and the reason for that is that our, our human impacts on the planet which there's a term the scientific community uses called anthropogenic impacts on the, uh, on the climate and on the planet are of such extraordinary scale now that it is imperative that we do everything we can uh, to help heal, to help stabilize, and to help regenerate the systems that we rely upon. You know, one of the things that a lot of folks uh, when I travel to communities all around the country, don't yet realize but are, are learning quickly uh, th that our planet we could really think of as a spaceship because it is a spaceship. We're all traveling through space together. And because we have an atmosphere, because we have a magnetosphere, because we have a biosphere, uh, we enjoy uh, conditions that are highly conducive to life. We enjoy beautiful life support systems that uh, usually more or less maintain and sustain themselves without us as humans having to do much like you would imagine on a spaceship in some science fiction story. And however, now that we've been several generations into the industrial revolution, the industrial era, our impacts on the climate, our impacts on water, our impacts on soil, our impacts on forests, and other ecosystems are so tremendous now that we've actually disrupted uh, the life support systems of this single planet that we all share. And so what we're doing through the Why on Earth community uh, to help address those issues and to help reverse several of those very dangerous trends is we offer community mobilization tools, resources, and experiences in communities all around the country and also through our ambassador network and our network of partners, allies, and podcast guests uh, through communities all around the world. And we focus on three key things. One is climate action, one is soil regeneration, and the third is culture of kindness. And it's 
uh, I think probably apparent to most of us at this point that here, especially in the United States, we, we've got not only a crisis in terms of ecology and in terms of climate, but we've got a real cultural crisis. There is way too much acrimony. Um, there's way too much polarization. There's way too much division in the culture at this time. And so a big part of what we're doing when we're doing these soil activation events, these tree planting events, these permacultural and biodynamic uh, ecosystem restoration events is we focus on how to, how to become more kind and joyful, empathic, and uh, cultivate peace with folks we encounter and get to spend some time uh, celebrating with. Great, great. Could you describe a little more about what these invent events entail? Yeah, you bet. So uh, it's, it's awesome. We, we're sitting here. Um, one of the funny things about filming is that we're filming at, at a real place, at a real point in time, but people are going to view these films at some other place in some other point in time, right? And so here we are, a day before Thanksgiving 2019, and uh, I'm on my way back to Colorado after two and a half months on the East Coast where I've given dozens of talks and workshops in city urban environments like New York City, uh, was actually at the uh, big uh, Youth and Indigenous Climate March September 20th that took place in New York while simultaneously there were uh, millions of students and indigenous leaders and others marching in cities all around the planet. Uh, and uh, in the last two years, I've had the opportunity to give something like 170 or so talks and workshops uh, in communities all around the United States. So what we do is focus on a handful of really key and essential points that are also explored in the books that I've written, and that includes Why on Earth, which is the main book, as well as the Soil Stewardship Handbook, which is a really concise summary of why soil regeneration is essential to these challenges we're facing and what to do in our day-to-day -day lives in our communities. And we'll, in addition to sharing this information with folks, we share inspiration and actually do things like plant trees and comfrey and other fast-growing foliage that are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. We build soil using biodynamic land medicine, which is a really important thing we're working on now, helping to scale uh, throughout agriculture uh, continent-wide as well as uh, worldwide. And there's a lot of info on these things on the whyonearth.org website and platform. And uh, we're sharing these direct experiences with people so that they themselves are getting their hands in the soil. They're getting their hands in these biodynamic land medicine stir experiences where we're physically interacting with billions of microorganisms that not only help build soil and reverse climate change through carbon sequestration, but also affect our own neurobiochemistry, enhancing our own health, well-being, vitality, and quality of, of life. And so it's really important while on the one hand we've got lots of video and multimedia tools and resources on our digital platform that we're also doing a, a lot of events in person with that direct physical interaction with people and communities and landscapes uh, all throughout the land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's a very complicated question actually, but could you just give a quick summary of what biodynamics are? Yeah. Biodynamics, you can think of biodynamics as a very advanced form of organic agricultural and land stewardship practices. 
uh, biodynamics come from Rudolf Steiner, who a hundred years ago gave what are now known as the agricultural lectures. Uh, in fact, the hundred year anniversary of those, I believe, will be in uh, the year 2022. I might be off by about a year, but it's coming right up. And what Steiner did, he was an extraordinarily gifted scholar and also an extraordinarily gifted spiritual uh, leader, you could say, spokesperson, uh, adept, it might be a good term. And he, in all of his studies and research and intuitive work, was able to understand and pull many deep traditions from all sorts of different cultures throughout Europe and Asia and the Mediterranean region and synthesize what he learned and discovered into a way of creating uh, land medicine, basically soil preparations uh, to help heal landscapes, to help improve vitality of agricultural systems. And it's, on one hand, it's a pretty simple and straightforward framework where we're using certain plants like uh, yarrow is one, uh, chamomile is one, um, dandelion is one, the bark from oak is one, and there are a few others. And we're also using manures from ruminants, from cattle, uh, and in some places that might include manure from buffalo and other of the large um, bovine type animals that roam the landscape. And, and we take these various uh, natural materials and bury them underground for typically six months or more. And when they're underground, uh, there is an interaction with all that soil microbiology that uh, lives in the landscape that transforms uh, these substances into very potent uh, compost. You could think of it as a very potent compost that is both homeopathic and and probiotic. And we take that in, in relatively small quantities and mix it into fresh water and spread it or spray it or sprinkle it around landscapes, gardens, parks, and uh, even uh, fields of uh, agricultural production, farms, orchards, etc. And uh, what's really cool about biodynamics is that it's, it's being used uh, in increasing scope and scale all around the world. Uh, in fact, the wine growers in California and the Napa region and other of those uh, California wine production regions are often uh, using biodynamics to help uh, their vineyards with issues like blight that a lot of those growers have been dealing with. And we're now working to get these uh, practices and these land medicines more widely adopted throughout mainstream um, conventional agricultural production as more and more of these farmers are choosing to get back to organics. I think it's really important when we're talking about organics to remind our audience that you know, sometimes some people will think organic is kind of like this new fad or like this thing that's been made up by the by some conspiracy or whatever. But the reality is that when we go back in time through the generations, all our ancestors, back into the earliest known uh, periods of history or even prehistory, think of the Egyptian Empire, think of the Greeks, think of the Romans, food throughout that entire span of time was organic it was always organic and right up until about five generations ago around the early 1900s there was this massive change that occurred because of industrialization because of the uh, chemical and chemistry revolution 
that had us basically developing all sorts of different compounds, chemicals, many of which are poisonous, many of which are carcinogenic, and applying them in massive scales into the agricultural systems. This became part of our modern nation-state strategy for geopolitical uh, maintenance of balance and advantage, especially after the Second World War. And there's a lot to unpack in the history there to understand that we've effectively been waging a chemical warfare on soil and on water and on ourselves, our own health and well-being, our own bodies, as a result of modern chemical-based agriculture. And we know now there's a bunch of science. Um, we know that uh, many of the cancers, many of the cognitive uh, struggles that folks encounter, many of the health issues and struggles that folks are encountering are related to the toxins and poisons in our food. And uh, we have to stop this. We have to change this. Now, it also turns out that healing soil, regenerating and rebuilding soil is one of the key strategies we have to stop and reverse climate change. And I don't know if you have a separate question on that or, or not, but I would like to make sure we spend a few minutes talking about why that's so important as well. But the thing with biodynamics is that we, we've got a lot of different techniques out there. There's all variety of organic production that is not using the harmful chemicals. Uh, there's different permacultural systems that work really well in suburban yards or in urban uh, community gardens. But with biodynamics in particular, we've got some very special potent land medicines that can be applied in all kinds of different contexts, even in our houseplants. And uh, it's a great joy to share this with more and more people, thousands, and we're working toward millions in the next uh, very short period of time through our global network uh, to help get that as widespread as we can. Wonderful. Going back to the whole chemical warfare, um, what do you think drove us to start to abuse the planet? Oh boy, that is a big question, Hunter. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, I've been spending most of my life exploring that question. Mm -hmm. And even as far back as, as high school, I was really starting to wonder about that. There are a lot of reasons. And I think it's important to recognize that certainly we can identify trends and developments in the modern industrial era that directly lead to many of the unfortunate challenges and situations we face currently. But the truth is that culturally, psychologically, uh, it's much farther back in our shared history that we find the seeds and the roots and, and some of the causes of the mistreatment of the living planet. And, uh, you know, I have a mixed heritage, which you of course share, which is uh, German, uh, Celtic, English-French, uh, Slovenian, and Mohawk, uh, Native American from the upstate New York region. These are the uh, folks, the Mohawk tribe that Ben Franklin uh, spent a lot of time with and learned from in terms of a true democratic society where each living human being has a voice and is uh, part of a decision-making mechanism that helped Ben Franklin uh, in the framing of the Constitution of this nation, the United States of America. 
And because of that heritage, and I've had opportunities to really explore different dimensions and aspects of that heritage, I've come to understand that we all have indigenous heritage, regardless of where our ancestors come from on the planet. And if we go back far enough, we'll find that in our indigenous heritage are ways of being that understand the respect, the gratitude toward the living environments upon which we rely and understand that we as humans have to live in balance and in uh, a humility that focuses on stewardship and focuses on the well-being of all the different critters and creatures that make up our ecosystems. And of course, in the modern society, we've been disconnected from that. We've been divorced from that so much so that many of us in our culture don't even have an awareness that this is an issue, actually. And so there are some tremendous thinkers uh, who include Carl Jung. Uh, Nietzsche did a lot on this, Goethe, uh, and many others, um, James Lovelock, um, uh, Gambutas, uh, uh, Rian Eisler uh, in Chalice and the Blade, I'm just naming a few off the top of my head, have been unpacking the way that in particular Western civilization has evolved since the time of the pre-Hellenic Greeks, the Minoan, the Cretan cultures that were matrilineal, much like the Mohawk and many other indigenous uh, nations are, um, and that had a very highly developed and sophisticated worldview and way of being in harmony and reverence for the natural living world. And we, we, we know that uh, we often refer to Earth as Mother Earth, and that there's a feminine aspect, like the life-giving power that we see in, in our own mothers and grandmothers, um, that is associated with the living planet. And it's, it's absolutely appropriate to recognize that in our Western history, we've had at least 2,000 years, if not longer, of a, a, a real dismissal at best and a violence uh, toward the feminine and toward the cultures and the peoples who live in balance and harmony with the natural living world. And so it's important that we understand the root causes of the crisis and the situation that we're in right now. And one of the great opportunities we all have is to explore our own personal heritage and connection to those older ways of living on the planet and reclaiming, uh, re-embracing and practicing a different way of being in harmony with our living world. So, sure, we can identify uh, certain developments in chemistry, right? Certain developments in mechanical engineering, right? The development of the internal combustion engine, like all these specific steps in the last two or three hundred years that absolutely propelled and catapulted us into the uh, modern world we're familiar with, where we can fly planes all over and move all amount of material goods all over the planet. Uh, but I think in addition to understanding some of those technical developments, that longer story of culture and mythological and psychological uh, yeah, pathology, we could say, in the, in the modern Western mind and heart is really important to recognize. I think it's beautiful and hopeful to recognize it too, because as we begin seeing that and seeing through the veil of the uh, cultural narrative, 
we immediately have an opportunity to embrace a very different way of being. And uh, what's so fun about the work I do is I get to interact with all kinds of other authors, leaders, scientists, uh, youth activists, farmers, herbalists, folks who are really working on these healing efforts. And the quality of life, we each have an opportunity to cultivate in our own lives and for our families and our friends and our neighbors is tremendous. And uh, it's right at our fingertips. Um, just to wrap it up here, if you were to give one piece of advice to an average citizen regarding how they can help the planet, what would it be? This is beautiful. And Hunter, I know uh, that, that uh, I can get on a roll sometimes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We've had plenty of hours driving and hiking and it's such a joy to be able to share this with you and also share a bit of our conversation with a lot of our other friends out there. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot we can be doing in our own lives. I think one part of that is, is developing a deeper connection with nature, wherever we are. Even in the biggest of cities, to find that park, to find those trees, those shrubberies, that soil that we can connect to, I think is imperative and is going to enhance our health and well-being. And there's a lot of exciting science on this. Uh, I will encourage folks to check out Why on Earth... Uh, the book at whyonearth.org and there's both an ebook and an audiobook uh, to download if you would like in addition to a printed book so it really gets into the science and the psychology and the health and well-being of some of those things in addition to the environmental benefits but in terms of a day-to-day -day practice the key thing we can all do right now and every day going forward is compost all of our kitchen scraps and other uh, otherwise would be trash that was recently uh, living, mostly plants. So even the paper towel roll, when you're done with a roll of paper towel, that little bit of cardboard, it was recently a tree. And when we put the trash, the organic uh, stuff into the trash, it goes to the landfill and is covered. And when it's in that environment, it breaks down in a manner that we call anaerobic, meaning that there's not much oxygen available. And there are a bunch of little organisms that we call methanogens that give off methane when they're doing this decomposition. And that methane, CH4, is a very small molecule that easily slips back up through the landfill, the covering, the membrane, and gets to the atmosphere. And methane is 19 to 23 times more potent than CO2, carbon dioxide, as a heat-trapping greenhouse uh, gas. So when we throw these things away, that's what's happening. We are exacerbating uh, the energy loading, the heat loading of our climate. And we've gone from 280 parts per million to over 400 parts per million carbon loading in the climate since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So we should not be putting any more uh, carbon in the atmosphere right now. That is crystal clear. The thing we can do with those same kitchen scraps and toilet paper rolls, on the other hand, and picture a why, like why on earth, like a fork in the road, is we can put that into compost. And when we put it into compost, instead of methanogens, anaerobic bacteria breaking this stuff down, it's aerobic uh, microorganisms that are actually turning this into soil and contributing to the virtuous soil building process that naturally occurs on the planet 
that helps and enhances carbon sequestration from the atmosphere. And so that simple act is a huge gesture and statement. And as thousands and millions of us adopt that simple choice every day, we are having a tremendous impact. Of course, engaging with composting also puts us on a pathway to more gardening, more houseplants, more community gardens down the street, more time outside, uh, and enhances our own health and well-being as a result. We know that just physically interacting with living soil uh, because of the way those organisms penetrate through our skin and get to our neurobiochemistry, this will improve serotonin production, this will improve our immune systems, this will uh, enhance our sense of joy and well-being, and there's even research showing it will enhance cognitive performance. So all kinds of reasons to get engaged in soil building and composting. Now if you're on a high-rise apartment and you don't have a community garden nearby, there's even then something you can do which is get some worm uh, composting bins under your sink or in a closet or whatever and you now have a little garden of a bunch of worms that are going to eat your apple cores and your carrot tops and give you a little bit of uh, worm castings which are a beautiful organic fertilizer for your house plants for the park a few blocks away whatever it might be so this is something we can all do in every context rural suburban urban and uh, it's it's one of the keys I think for us all to engage in and help educate others at our workplace our faith community our house of worship our school and uh, of course our home with our neighbors we can all do this Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, that was fun, Hunter. That was fun. So, so we're done with your part, huh? Yes. So we'll see how uh, C-SPAN likes it. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> and now I get to ask you some questions. That sounds there. like a plan. All right. And uh, let me uh, let me see how we doing on oh, time. Oh, this is perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that uh, as a reminder. This is the Why on Earth Communities uh, Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series, and I'm sitting here with my son Hunter Chestnut Perry. And we're having a beautiful conversation. Part of this conversation, of course, is the interview he just did for his school project. And now I'm going to ask Hunter a handful of questions. Now, before proceeding, I want to give a huge shout out to everybody who's joined our Why on Earth monthly giving program, which helps make this podcast series possible, as well as the community mobilization work that we're doing all around the country and increasingly worldwide. And uh, if you haven't yet joined the monthly giving program and you would like to, uh, you can choose any amount that works well for you. Go to whyonearth.org, click on the support or donate button and select how much you'd like to give each month. And when you do that, I will send you an email with a code, a very special code that will allow you to download and unlock all of our ebook and audiobook resources as a thank you. Um, of course, I also want to give a shout out to our sponsors who make this possible as well. And that includes Patagonia, Waylay Waters, Earth Coast Productions, the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, uh, uh, Purium, uh, Beauty Counter, Gaia TV, and the Lidge Family Foundation. Um, a huge thanks to everybody for making this possible. And if you'd like to check out Beauty Counter, Purium, Gaia TV subscription, you can do all those things through the Why on Earth site and partial proceeds will come back to support the work we're doing with the nonprofit. 
So a huge thanks to everybody. And of course, that's not the first time hunters uh, heard me share this sort of thing because we've actually been uh, on the road together here and there over the last couple of years as part of our father-son adventures. And uh, last summer we went on a pretty epic adventure and did a handful of soil activation ceremonies and uh, and uh, where I, I want to share with folks like wh where did we go Hunter and, and what did we do and, and how was that for you? Um, it was awesome first of all we went to a ton of different places um, it was basically just a big road trip where where was our first stop? I don't even well, remember. I guess our first stop was at the uh, Star House. We went to a very special well just outside of uh, Boulder, Colorado, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That kind of kicked things off. That did kick things off. And then I would just say we definitely did a ton of stuff. And uh, I would say one of the highlights was we went to this house that was built. I don't remember the name of the organization that built it. But it was a house that basically was designed to act like as organically as possible, which I thought was really cool. From anywhere from the floor was made out of like hardened their stairwell was in a certain pattern with like handcrafted welding that held different crystals in the shape of flowers and stuff which going into architecture, which is what I want to study, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so this is uh, outside of Paonia, Colorado, and we did a podcast interview with uh, our friend Stone Hunter, who is a biodynamic practitioner who helped design and build this beautiful house. And uh, the episode we recorded with Stone hasn't been released as of this recording, but it's very possible it will be released before this gets released. So either way, um, in the very near future, both of these conversations will be made available. And that one was super fun because, of course, Hunter, you were manning the camera. Mm. And we did a tour of the house, and Stone's an incredible educator and practitioner. And uh, the home was built using biodynamic principles as well as advanced principles from a man named Enzo from Italy who does a lot of work through the biodynamic networks throughout the world. Um, just a joy. And, and that was, uh, I guess, um, I'm, I'm jogging my memory real quick. I'm trying to recall the whole tour and adventure we took because we, we went out of Colorado. We stopped at Sustainable Settings. We went through Utah. We went to the Canyon Country in Utah and visited a beautiful organic farm outside of Moab drove through the desert all the way to California and went to the Sequoia National Park mm -hmm. or forest and saw those giant trees. Yeah. And we also did a handful of uh, workshops and seminars with our friends at Kiss the Ground in Venice in LA and went down toward uh, Newport with some of the Waldorf and biodynamic community down there. You and I even did a special ceremony right on the beach in Venice mm -hmm. and that, with the moon. And uh, I, I want to mention something else about the moon soon, but... Uh, you know, for me, Hunter, it was such a joy that we got to share time, our time together with some of these other folks in these other communities. And we also had to ourselves some beautiful time where we did some ceremony along the way. This was a rite of passage marking your 16th birthday. And uh, it was such a joy to be able to mark some of those points along the way together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to just touch on that. I think it's really cool to be able to experience all this stuff. We typically do this in the summer, which happens to fall around my birthday. So 
So those kind of just go together. And I know a lot of teenagers and have a lot of teenage friends that don't do anything like that. And it's just another day, basically, where they celebrate with a cake or something. And I think it's really cool to be able to experience all this stuff and see new places and meet new people and just keep learning about stuff. And one of the other things we do that I guess not everyone gets to do is a lot of backpacking, huh? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about our, our backpacking adventure we took a few months ago. Yeah, so that was last summer. Um, I think it was four full days in of just complete backpacking, no service, nothing like that. Um, right? Yeah. We did... Two nights at this really beautiful lake, which was, that was like the top of our trek. And before that, we had two nights on our way up. And yeah, it was a very cool adventure. And uh, this was in the uh, Indian Peaks Wilderness area outside of Nederland, Colorado, where we've been going since uh, you were a baby, even before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's where I've buried... Uh, parts of your placenta and your sister's placenta, which is a traditional way of establishing a relationship with a place in traditional cultures. In fact, we will talk about how uh, we remember ancestors and think about future generations often by knowing where various people's placentas were buried in the family stories. Huh. And uh, so we were up in the high country, weren't we? And we, we saw some wildlife. What was that? Yeah. We saw way up high on those... Uh, they, they were way above tree line. We saw a bunch of creatures. Yeah, we didn't really know what they were. Um, it was very far away, but it was this perfect view from our campsite looking over this ridge, basically, of a mountaintop. And he spotted them first, and I think it was just a couple at the beginning of... Probably elk. Yeah, Probably something elk. like that. And then it ended up being this just huge herd, like, crossing at the perfect angle for us to be able to see them uh, on the like backdrop of the skyline, just crossing across the ridge and grazing, which was, yeah, that was awesome. So, and what else did we do up there when we were right at that lake? We did some fishing. Yeah, we That did. was probably my favorite part. Uh -huh. I had never caught a fish before that, so, and I think I caught three or something, which, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, uh -huh. that was tremendous, huh? Uh-huh. And, uh, we were along a pretty cool creek for a lot of that hike. Mm -hmm. we, we hiked a few miles each day. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty rigorous. Mm -hmm. And we carried a lot of weight in our backpacks. Mm -hmm. We encountered snow. Yes. We needed a lot of food because I was in a training phase. So that was a lot of weight. Yeah. We had a lot of delicious food with us. Uh -huh. And I remember your first backpacking trip. Actually, it was to a place pretty close to where we were called Lost Lake and you're so cute you had your smaller pack and you're carrying a pillow and a couple things and it was such a joy as a father to be able to introduce you to that kind of experience and uh, I know now that we've got a lot more uh, trekking and adventuring in front of us and I'm just uh, overjoyed about it yeah. yeah well when you turned 13 mm -hmm. we also did a special backpacking around there and uh, this might be of interest to some of the parents out there in terms of rites of passage for our children. Um, what, what did we do? So we went up again around the Lost Lake area, 
and we were backpacking with his brother, actually. And um, my brother Michael. Yes. I have two. How how many nights were we? Well, we were uh, out there. Is it two? Two nights. Okay. So we went up two nights, and I didn't know this at the time, but one of the nights I had to spend by myself, like off in my own little section in my own tent. You were invited to. I was. You didn't have to. I was suggested to. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, yeah, it was definitely cool, and I would say in the last. Five years, I've done a lot of growing up around that. I was a pretty scared little kid, I would say. Um, I hated being alone at home. I did not like the dark. And I remember that night was definitely a big like transition period for me. It was pouring rain that night. There was this huge storm. And yeah, I got through it. And it was a really cool just like gateway into... The beginning of manhood. So we uh, made some arrangements with Hunter's extended family. Uh, his sister, his mother, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and a few other uh, people close to him. So that they all wrote letters to Hunter ahead of time. And I had them in my backpack in a sealed plastic bag so they wouldn't get uh, ruined by water or rain or whatever. And after we set up the tent uh, with Hunter far away from where my brother and I were, uh, we established a perimeter just for safety. Mm -hmm. And um, we invited Hunter to uh, join us in a special ceremony. And we did some praying together. I gave you a couple objects, including a knife. To and uh-huh. Uh and uh, handed you a stack of letters mm -hmm. from a bunch of people who really love you. Uh, giving you some messages for this important milestone in your in your path mm -hmm. and uh, so I know that uh, th that was a really powerful thing for you to receive that from so many relatives yeah yeah it was really cool um, so yeah I basically just read those all night there were a lot of them which was I felt very loved which was wonderful and I remember we talked about this the next morning, and I don't know like what had driven me to do this, but I created this little like power object in my tent. I made a triangle with like a stick and the two knives, and then put a crystal in the middle and i one of my other gifts was beads from was it who was that? Do you remember? I feel like it was Carl that sounds right. I put a circle of beads around it, and I don't know why I did that, I don't know why I had the inclination to do that, but it was kind of just a sense of security thing, and it's like a cool thing with the power of ob objects. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course that's something that comes to us through many of our lineages, traditions, and mm -hmm. cultures. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So when you're you're a senior in high school, yeah, uh, a very gifted artist. I'm so excited about the pieces you've been working on that'll be getting into this book that we're working on mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And you're an amazing athlete. And and I know a few of my friends have heard me say I I don't even play basketball against Hunter anymore because it hurts. It really freaking hurts. 
and I don't want to break legs at this point. I just I want to watch him and and uh, from the safety of the you know bleachers as he's uh, taken on big dudes, all kinds of folks out there, and just uh, showing them some ball. And uh, what a joy. Yeah. And uh, as you're finishing finishing up your high school career, thinking about next steps, this question of climate change and some of these big challenges that we're facing like how does that affect you and and like what are you what are you thinking what do you what are you anticipating when you're thinking about the future mm -hmm. I think most kids are or most teenagers are kind of blind to the whole reality that things could really change soon and kind of the importance of everyone stepping in to do their part <clears throat> so even personally like I would say I kind of have this view of like what I would want to do with my life if there was nothing wrong in the world, right? And that could involve like playing basketball in college and then just going on to um, architecture, work of architecture. But uh, there are also these present problems which create opportunities for us and lots of other people that may need to be addressed sooner than we think. So I don't really know what my future is going to look like, and I'll have to find a balance between all of those things. But, yeah. Yeah, it creates an extraordinary additional both set of opportunities and set of potential pressures and stressors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know, too, that you have a, a very deep entrepreneurial uh, inclination and tendency and sometimes we refer to entrepreneurship as a uh, gen genetic uh, disease but that's a joke that's meant <laughs> to be funny um, and I know that uh, already you've launched a personal training uh, platform and that you also have a landscaping yard services uh, business that you offer here in the neighborhood and a few other things you're doing. You're even uh, peddling some things at school sometimes yeah. that legal, legal people yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, is wonderful to share and talk about. And um, so it's it's really exciting for me as your dad to see some of those uh, inclinations and, and aptitudes emerging that I know are going to serve you very well and also are going to likely help you to serve a lot of other people and serve our world because uh, clearly some of the solutions are entrepreneurial in nature and require that kind of approach to taking some risks, trying some new things, and thinking about uh, complex ways of piecing together um, products and services that are really good for people and good for the environment and that also work as businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just I love when we get to chat on those things and it's going to be a, I think a lot of fun to see where you go with all that. Yeah to talk about that um, I really love like doing my own thing with a lot of things since I was little I hated getting lessons for things I just kind of like to figure things out and I think that just like in North America the mold that we're put into often follows a certain path that kind of everyone is supposed to go through that isn't always the best thing. For instance, like with all these jobs, I'm doing relatively simple work and making a lot more than the average like busboy job, 
which is what kids, I would say, are expected to do, like get your first job at a restaurant or something. And I just think it's about finding ways to think outside of the box of kind of just the mold that our society has put us into because ultimately I think that's pushing towards the continuing of the destruction of our world along with different just pressures and anxieties and like depression with a lot of adults that aren't happy with where they ended up because they never actually followed what they truly wanted to you know yeah that's so important so important Mm -hmm. you know and I will share that uh, as I was writing why on earth which has some chapters that explore this very thing I absolutely had you and OSHA in mind as the core audience when I was writing that. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, you're on it. You're, you are on the path. And uh, I'm so proud of you, buddy. I, I know you know that, and uh, it's just fun to say it. Thank you. So proud of you. I want to I ask, there's something that happened just a few days ago that adds to how and why I'm proud of you. Because mm-hmm. you said, Dad... I just saw this documentary, you gotta see it. Mm-hmm. We gotta talk about it. And uh, it, we've had some really interesting conversations the last couple of days. What, yeah. Because why? What, what are we talking about? Okay, so it's this documentary called Game Changers, which basically is talking about a vegan diet, and this documentary is like directed towards athletes, basically for just like peak performance, which... If anyone had tried to convince me before seeing this to go vegan, I would never do it. Like, my diet is so full of meat and dairy, and I I know they're great for me, but I don't love vegetables. So, um, it was definitely just eye-opening, and I'm happy that I kind of just stumbled across it on Netflix. And it's basically just talking about how as humans we aren't really meant to eat as much meat as we do and people aren't eating the vegetables the grains that they're supposed to and all these processed foods and they're leading to a ton of health problems that we see um, along with like the US being the highest obesity rate in the world and yeah I'm just focusing on staying healthy and being able to push my body to its limits and get the most out of it as I can. Yeah, and I was I was struck uh, watching this documentary that very well done. Mm-hmm. And I think James Cameron uh, produced or directed, he had a, a key role in this. This is James Cameron, Avatar, um, some other key uh, films that folks would recognize. And I was struck that as you're saying, so much of the conversation was framed around elite uh, athletes. And it struck me that, you know, for folks like you, that's super compelling. Yeah. Because you are an athlete yeah. and, and you do a lot and you are amazing. You can bench press more than I weigh and <laughs> like teach me things and it's wonderful. But a lot of us are not elite athletes. Yeah. And that may not be the key motivator for a lot of other folks. And I think when we're talking about diet, uh, I was vegan in my early 20s, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some other issues that are really important for us to unpack together. And as we're seeing many youth leaders responding to the climate crisis, the environmental and cultural crisis, 
many are choosing the vegan diet as a way to uh, address that. Yeah. And that's commendable, that's laudable. But there is an important issue that I think we we need to explore and discuss and share in these conversations, and it has to do with soil building and fertility in agriculture. Uh, because I work with hundreds of farmers, and it's pretty clear that our agricultural systems rely on animal manures, and particularly the bovine ruminant manures of cattle, things like buffalo, and it was the big bovine uh, herds roaming the landscape over thousands and millions of years that really built up the soils, the rich soils we now see in the bed, bread basket regions of the world, mm -hmm. like here in the middle of the United States, for example. So that manure input from animals is essential for the soil building that is critical for sequestering carbon and reversing climate change. And meanwhile, on the diet front, uh, especially here in the United States, we've been the unwitting guinea pigs in a massive experiment of highly toxic food, highly refined processed food that is not good for us. And we are suffering all kinds of physical maladies as a result of this, not to mention uh, uh, sometimes even psychological and cognitive and other maladies as well. And there's no doubt, regardless of whether we choose to be vegan or we choose a, a diet that includes some animal protein from regenerative, sustainable, organic production uh, systems as opposed to the uh, industrial uh, feedlot style systems that are way too uh, impactful in the world right now. No doubt it does us all a lot of good to eat a lot more organic, natural, fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, and to make that a much bigger part of our diet and to get away from the non-organic and from the processed foods. There's no doubt, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think it's a, a really important conversation, and I do encourage folks to check out the documentary, and, and there are plenty of uh, videos out there debunking or claiming to debunk some of what's in the documentary, but I, I do think it's a really important conversation, and I think it's something we need to be thinking about and talking about more and mm -hmm. more with each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the main things, like, I'm not totally against eating meat, it's just from what I've seen on this, it has a lot of benefits for athletes. It also talked in the documentary, they went to a fire station where it was talking about how around 70% of firefighters who die in the line of cause die from heart attacks, yeah. which just the huge stress of being in a firefight basically, but also because of a lot of health problems. And they went to this fire station and basically challenged all the people and their families to do a week of eating vegan. And something like the median weight loss was like six or seven pounds. And everyone's blood pressure dropped a bunch and cholesterol levels and stuff. So I think it's really just about like eating healthy because I don't think meat is bad at all. And I just think the way that we have eat in what's in the industry is yeah. bad because it's not natural and it's not needed and I read something the other day that was like we have the ability to feed nine billion people right now mm -hmm. and there are tons of people that are starving 
throughout the world yeah. because we have this mass food um, creation basically that's going to waste and that's not useful really mm -hmm. it doesn't have any nutritional value and it's putting a lot of money and a lot of resources into things that are pretty much exclusively bad for the environment and for us mm -hmm. yeah it's really true and connecting dots to like the deforestation in the Amazon and the many thousands of fires burning there for deforestation for certain agricultural production, connecting the dots with the glyphosate uh, loading of the American agricultural system and all of the rates of cancer along waterways that have resulted. This is revealed through Zach Bush's work, the medical doctor who created the documentary called Farmer's Footprint. That there is so much uh, destructive. Uh, force at play in the modern industrial food system and we absolutely have to heal that and, and I'm so thrilled Hunter that you're learning about this and that you're communicating about this and that you're making changes in your own life your own diet as a result of what you're learning that's exactly the pattern we want to see scaling throughout society mm -hmm. so you asked me earlier what's the one thing I would recommend to folks mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you what what what's the one thing you would recommend to folks? And I'm I'm maybe even thinking in particular, folks your age. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I mean, I like we're grown. As we grow up, we're taught like reduce, reuse, recycle all the time, and I would say that's just a generic one that everyone hears a lot. But I think those are very important. I think those are some of the most important things and then something a little more unique to come up with an answer for that question. I would say like often we have the knowledge of knowing what is good and it's just about being able to be disciplined enough to do it, you know. So I would say just set challenges for yourself and try like a week of exercising every day or a week of eating just clean food for every meal and to see how it feels and start to realize what makes you feel healthy and go from there. That's excellent. Yeah, it's good advice. And you know, part of the joy I think of being a parent is that uh, you start learning things from your kids and that starts right away uh, when they're babies and infants and toddlers, they teach us a lot. And as they get older and start developing their own sensibility, their own knowledge base, their own experiential base, we get to learn so much from our kids and uh, it's, a, it's a real joy to be at that phase of life now, Hunter, where, um, well, you can kick my butt playing basketball. And, and in the weight room. And in the <laughs> weight room. <laughs> and you're starting to get really tough and ch playing chess together. Um, so there, there's so much I get to learn from you and I, I just love it and I really admire uh, not only your heart, your creativity, your athleticism, but your discipline. And I know that your coaches and your teachers have uh, seen that and have acknowledged that your level of discipline as a young man is extraordinary. And it's part of why you're put into leadership positions, for example, with your basketball team. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know uh, that uh, for a lot of folks, discipline's a real challenge. Mm -hmm. And I just admire wholeheartedly that uh, you have chosen for yourself to make that a priority, and you're really good at it. Mm -hmm. well, thank you.
So I think we'll probably need to wrap up for now, Hunter. And I know in the coming months and probably next summer, we'll get some more adventure together and perhaps do some more video stuff together. But uh, just for now, to sign off with our Why on Earth community, is there, uh, is there anything you'd like to share with folks before we sign off for today? Um, I mean, just keep watching. We'll have some more things. Hopefully, I'll have maybe another episode or two with the Why on Earth community podcast. So... Yeah, look forward to seeing you guys again. That sounds great. So you heard it from him. Keep watching, folks, and we'll see you soon. And uh, hope everybody has a great day. Take care. Are we are we recording? Wait, can I ask you something? Wait, yeah. Um, wait, you look right into the, no, like maybe we should stop it. Or well, this is like it. a blooper reel. Okay. So, when you are interviewing people, do you guys look at the camera? Oh, really? Yeah. But I got Like, how soon? Like, like, 28 minutes in. No, I mean, how soon do you need it? Oh. I mean, as soon as you can, but... No, but, like, actually. In the next week. If you can okay, just send I'm me, just like, saying a like, file. Like, if I can wait till I'm back in Boulder this weekend to do yeah, it, that would be way fine. better. Yeah. Okay. Hold on, We're still see. recording for bloopers. Okay. So tell me a joke. Oh, right now. <laughs> tell me a joke, dude. Um, a joke. I don't know if I have that many good jokes. Well, okay, this was from the... This is more just funny, I think. This was in the documentary, right? So it's this strong man who's vegan. Right? Yeah. And he is, like, several years ago, he decided to change to a vegan diet. And he's talking with some of his friends, and they're like, how the heck do you expect to be so strong? Like, strong as an ox if you're not eating a ton of meat. And he answers saying, have you ever seen an ox eat any meat? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Which I think is so funny because, like, this was also in the documentary. Like, the way our society's built is just, like, slammed meat equals big strong men basically and so many of the animals that would mess us up in the wild don't eat meat and yeah they throw out another example yes they talk about how gorillas would absolutely like destroy us which is true and think about how big they get with just eating plants like <laughs> you can get big with plenty of plants and they have protein and it's kind of just a rumor not a rumor What's the word I'm looking for? A myth? A myth, yeah. A myth that plants don't have protein and that you need it from animal products. Which I think <laughs> is funny. <laughs> yeah. Alright, I got one for you. Okay, let's hear it. What is a pirate's favorite vegetables? What? <laughs> Artichokes and chard! What about arugula? Arugula! <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> You got more? I'm good. <laughs>
The world is a miraculous creation that allows all of life to flourish. Every living organism learned to develop a coexisting relationship with the world and all other beings in order to live peacefully together. This balance all changed when humans took advantage of their knowledge, developing ways to dominate the world. For now that we've been several generations into the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Era, our impacts on the climate, our impacts on water, our impacts on soil, our impacts on forests and other ecosystems are so tremendous now that we've actually disrupted uh, the life support systems of this single planet that we all share. The fact that climate change is real, that it's important, and we should do something about it. There's all of these issues that we're all dealing with, but there's this overarching issue, which is that we can be destroyed. Going back thousands of years, the atmospheric carbon dioxide level has never reached 300 parts per million. Since 1950, it has increased by over 25% to an astonishing 415 parts per million. The average global temperature has risen by 1.62 degrees, causing detrimental effects on the world. The polar ice caps are melting at an astonishing rate leaving less room and resources for the indigenous animals, along with effectively raising the ocean heights by an average of 3.3 millimeters per year, beginning to swallow up islands. Fish populations are dying around the world due to an increase in ocean temperatures, and these are only a few of the problems we are seeing. Last year, more than 4.6 million people died from causes directly related to pollution. To put that into perspective, that is more than the 420,000 people who were murdered, more than the 1.3 million who died from car accidents, and more than the 1.6 million who died from diabetes, all combined. We have been so focused on building wealth that we have let greed get the best of us. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. Um, what do you think drove us to start to abuse the planet? Oh boy, that is a big question, Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, I've been spending most of my life exploring that question. We have the power to save the planet, but we have to make an important decision. What is more important, money or survival? You're going to look at, it's basically, it's saying it's going to cost tens of billions of dollars every year. We have the resources to move towards a greener planet, 
Businesses are going to have to prioritize helping the earth by cutting down on things like plastic and reducing the amount of pollution they are releasing. We will have to invest in renewable energy. We have all the technology and knowledge that we need to reverse this life-threatening problem. We are even working on new technologies to help, such as tree planting robots, solar roadways, fusion energy, and even machines that will draw CO2 directly from the atmosphere. If everyone composted, the impact would be equivalent to removing the pollution from 8 million cars. Additionally, we can focus on reducing our consumption, taking bikes, walking more, and eating organic foods. It is up to all of us to fix this problem, but we can do it. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.